Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Imagine a movement of God across North America that changes the culture and the attitudes of people. Imagine entire communities that are desperate, being filled with courage and hope. Wait a second, that's how we started last week's message, right? (laughs) Exactly. We started a four-part series of sermons last week called Life on Mission. And I talked to you last Sunday morning about the big picture. Living our lives for the glory of God. That's the big picture. And the key verse was from Psalm 86, verse 9. Let's read it out loud together. Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. So the purpose of the nations is to glorify God. And the purpose of our church is to glorify God. And the purpose of my life and yours is to glorify God. That's the big picture. And it's pretty big. It's pretty big picture. A life on mission is really a call to ditch our own personal preferences so that we can get on mission and stay on mission with God. We need to make His preferences ours. And like a bungee jumper, we soon discover that what may have seemed dangerous or scary at first becomes the thrill of a lifetime once we let go. So living out the gospel really is the good life. It's the great adventure. Living out the gospel is actually what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he talks about the abundant life. What's the abundant life? The abundant life is living out the gospel day by day. And we grasp the good life. We grasp the abundant life as we experience God's grace and truth in Jesus Christ and then follow Jesus without hesitation. However, an everyday missionary who is not grounded in the gospel is not really a missionary at all because he or she has no good news to proclaim. It's all centered on the gospel. Every other religious movement in the world has a good idea for the moment. And some of those ideas might be temporarily helpful to one person or another, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is the announcement of God's grace through a person whose name is Jesus, and that truth and that grace transforms a life now and for eternity. It lasts forever. And before you get thinking to yourself, well, Pastor, I know the gospel. I get the gospel. I've heard the gospel all my life. So would you kindly move off of elementary things and get to, the, get to the meat of the word? Before you think that, let me just remind you that the gospel is not something that we simply get. The gospel is something that we grow deeper in for the rest of our lives. 
the more we dig into the gospel, the richer the transforming uh, news or truth of that gospel is. And so, we would say here at the gathering that the gospel is the starting point, and it's the sustaining point, and it's the finishing point for all of mission and all of life. This is a gospel-centered church. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please? 1 Corinthians 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And we're looking for chapter 15. I want you to see this on the printed page. It's going to be on the screen in a moment, if it isn't already, and it is. So let's, let me read this passage for you. Just the first four verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, see there it is. So they, they know this. And just like you know the gospel, I'm just reminding you this morning. I, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So it might be safe for us to say this morning that this is likely the most important thing that you will ever hear. Why else would Paul say this is of first importance? Underline this in your, uh, in your Bible. Underline this in the documents that you're reading to that church in, in Corinth. This is important. In fact, it's of first importance. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried on the third day according to the scriptures he came out of the grave alive there is nothing more important than this truth this is the core of the gospel this is the essence the climax the, the zenith of the gospel of God nothing is more important when it comes to telling people how they can begin a relationship with God. Nothing is more important than this information. But there is a larger... That's not all there is to the gospel. That's the core of the... That's the essence of the gospel. It's the, the summit or the zenith of the gospel, but there's, there's a greater narrative that surrounds this. That, that's not all there is to the story. Is it? And we, we need to be aware of, of the gospel foundations upon which this truth rests. Like, like four pillars rising out of the heart of God. And the first gospel foundation is God's holiness. The God of the Bible is the one and only true God who is holy. He, he made us in His image and... Uh, the purpose for that was that we might fellowship with Him, that we might know Him and be in relationship with Him. 
But he is the greatest of all beings. There is no one else who is greater than God himself. He depends on no other being for his existence. He is self-sufficient and self-sustaining. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sang about that this morning. Not something that we can fully understand, but that is not a contradiction. He plans and acts according to his good purpose, Philippians 2.13. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. He upholds the universe by the power of his word, Hebrews 1.3. And he is holy, Isaiah chapter 6. In this magnificent and glorious vision of heaven, Isaiah sees the Lord sitting upon His throne, high and exalted. And the angels surround Him, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole place shakes the voice of Him who speaks. And the house is filled with, with smoke. It is a, it is a, a picture. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture in human words of the holiness of God. God is altogether holy, set apart, transcendent on one, on one, in one sense. All-knowing, all-powerful. He has all dominion. He's the creator and sustainer of all life. But we sinned against Him. How dare we sin against God? We sinned against Him, and that created separation. That creates distance between a holy God and sinful people, all of a sudden, you know, we're there in His presence in the Garden of Eden and everything's good and everything's right, but we blew it. And so the second foundation we need to talk about this morning is our sinfulness. Every person on the planet was made in the image of God, according to Genesis 1, 27, 28. In part, that means that we're privileged to be His representatives. We get to represent God. We're created in His image. But we blew it, and we blew it badly. Adam and Eve decided uh, in the garden there that they were smarter than God, and so they disobeyed Him. And as a result of their action against God and spitting in the face of God, all of the human race is now morally fallen and we naturally turn away from God and turn towards sin. That's the natural inclination of our hearts. Have you noticed that? <laughs> we, we naturally turn away from God and, and, and we turn towards sin. We're not as bad as we possibly could be, but we are at no point as good as we ought to be. Listen to Isaiah as he comes to terms with that reality. He comes to terms with the reality of his own sinfulness when he says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think it's, it's only as we, we really do, we get a glimpse of God as, as he did when he saw the, the vision of the Lord high and lifted up and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. 
Isaiah got a glimpse of who God really is, and only in that moment do we really understand that we are not holy. We really, we really begin to see ourselves for what we really are when we catch a glimpse of God. I'm lost, he said. I'm, I'm, I need to be rescued. I'm a man of unclean lips, which was just another way of saying that I'm, I'm full of sin. And this was not some sort of religious mumbo-jumbo that he memorized in Sabbath school in the temple when he was a kid. This is not simply an extraction that's taken from the the Jerusalem Shorter Catechism. This was Isaiah being completely overwhelmed and overcome by his own sinfulness. Have you ever experienced that? He was stunned by the realization that God is completely and totally holy and he is exactly the opposite. And he was undone by that realization. I suppose wondering in that, in that very moment, how in the world am I ever going to get to God? How am I ever going to be in a relationship with God when He's so holy and I'm so lost and sinful? God loves us and created us to fellowship with Him, but sin separates us from God. It puts distance between us and God. And so that's a problem. God loves us and wants to fellowship with us, but we're sinful and sin separates us from God. So there's this sin problem, this separation problem. But God solved that in the most amazing way. Let's have a look at God's solution. In His great love, God sent His Son Jesus to come as our King and to rescue us and to set us free. Jesus Christ, who's fully God and And fully man lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and and gave his life to bear the wrath of God on behalf of those who would believe in him. And he rose from the grave on the third day according to the scriptures in order to give life, eternal life to all who believe in him and all who trust in him. That was the solution that God was driving to for all of those years through the Levitical uh, uh, sacrificial system. He was pointing to this moment when Jesus Christ would give up His life on the cross. And so, Jesus died in my place and yours. Jesus paid your debt and mine. Jesus is God's solution to the problem of separation. And so if God has done that for us in Christ, then how should we respond to that? What should we do as a result of that? Well, that's the fourth gospel foundation. There needs to be a response. God's holiness, our sinfulness, God's solution, our response. God has provided the only way, and now we must respond to that. And the the response that God is looking for from men and women and boys and girls is a response of faith. Simple faith placed in Jesus Christ. God calls us to repent and turn from our sins and trust in Jesus alone for forgiveness. So if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, then we're born again into this new and living hope that God gives to us by grace. It's really amazing grace that we've been singing about this morning.
this verse from John chapter 3, verse 16, such a common verse, such a, such a well-known verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is looking for a response. And, and that, that verse in the third line underscores the response. You, you have to believe. You have to act upon this body of truth, this body of knowledge, in order to be saved, in order to enter into the reality of the gospel alive in your life. God is looking for that response for us. He loved the world so much that He gave His only Son so that we might have life and might have it abundantly. And what a glorious outcome it is when we do trust in Jesus. When we make that response, when we trust in Him by faith, there's a glorious, amazing result. God's plan is to save His people from their sins. That's the story from Christmas, right? You shall name his, uh, this son Jesus because he will, what? Save his people for, from their sins. So that's the purpose of God, to, to save his people from their sins, to bring us fully and finally to himself, that we might have a relationship with the Father. Christians experience salvation in this life um, in three tenses, if I can put it that way. God's got it all covered, past, present, and future. Christians have been saved from the penalty of their sin. In other words, if you're a believer today, you have been saved from the penalty of your sins. We are currently being saved from the power of sin. That's the present. And one day, with God's plan of salvation uh, enacted and completed, and we are with Christ then we shall be like Him and we shall be saved even from the very presence of sin. That's future. So God's got it all covered. Past, present, future. Praise God. This is God's plan of salvation. And this is the gospel. We don't have to leave people wondering. We say, man, if you are a believer in Jesus, God's got it covered. Past, present, future. You've been saved from the penalty of your sin. You're currently being saved from the power of your sin, and one day we shall be saved from the very presence of sin. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's going to be good. Come on now. That's going to be good. Looking forward to that. This is God's plan of salvation. So really, a a good way to to, to summarize that, and and, and I assure you that these these, uh, messages in this series are, are aimed at a at a concluding point in week four. So, so all of these, these messages in Life on Mission really are, are aiming toward uh, week four when I'll be sharing with you some very important tools uh, for, for you to have gospel conversations with other people. But a good way to summarize this good news really is to unpack these, these four key words. God, man, Christ, and response. God, first of all, a good, this is a good way for you to, to, to remember what the gospel is. God always is, is the beginning, beginning point. God is the creator of all things. He is perfectly holy. He's just. He's worthy of worship. And uh, he will one day punish sin. Man, all people, all women, all men, 
Though created good, have become sinful by nature. We have fallen. And from birth, people are alienated from the life of God and hostile to God and subject to the wrath of God because of sin. Christ, Jesus Christ, is fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He came out of the grave alive on the third day and, and, and gives his people eternal life. And then, of course, the response to all of that. God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and believe in the gospel. This is the true gospel. And this is what, this is what changes people's lives. We talk about the, we talk about the, the, the mission or the, the vision statement of the gathering. We exist for the glory of God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We exist to bring glory to God through lives changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that people's lives do get changed is through the gospel. It's the only way. And right now, I'd I'd like to share with you how one young man's life was changed, transformed by the power of the gospel. Let's go to the video now. William and I grew up with parents who were very dedicated to the Lord, raised us in the fear of the Lord, taught us about who Christ was. You know, Christian high school, Christian college, going to church, mentally agreeing to the idea of God, all those things led me to believe that I was a Christian. I saw him pursuing a lifestyle that was different from what I knew to be true to what the Lord had called us to be. My life was already a mess before the night of June 21st when my 15-year-old little brother, Evan, was killed suddenly in a four-wheel accident. And I had no idea how to cope with that. The only answer I really found was to keep myself from being sober. I would go sit at his grave by myself and I would drink and cry drive home drunk and and do it the next day. But then I came in to visit my sister uh, where she was living at the time one weekend. And over that weekend, due to typical um, sinful acts in my life at that time, just being a mean, loud, angry, abusive jerk, uh, my relationship at that time, the girl finally ended it and it pushed me over the edge. Sunday morning rolled around after a couple of days of this and my sister brought me to church where she was attending at the time. And as I was sitting there in service, as they were singing these songs again about heaven, it just, it made me so angry. I had been struggling with suicidal thoughts at the time. I just got up and walked out of the church thinking, this is so pointless. I didn't really think anything of it. I knew he wasn't feeling well. I knew he was kind of hungover. I figured he must just need to get some air. I walked over to a gas station a few blocks away. Um, If they had sold alcohol on Sunday, I would have bought it. They didn't. I bought a pack of cigarettes. Walked up the street a little bit further and sat down on this bench. And I had finally collapsed inside of myself, 
just to the point where that little circle of light that was any hope in my life was gone. And I just, I, in that moment, as I was still drunk, I had been drinking even that morning, I just missed my brother so much and I wanted to see him. And because I thought of myself as a Christian, I thought if I take my life, I think I know where I'm going and I just want to see my brother. And as I watched the traffic pass in front of me, um, I thought I'll smoke a few of these cigarettes and I can get up and walk out in front of a bus and this will just all be over for me. So I got in my car and drove to get him and I picked him up and he was crying and upset and talking about how he just felt like this life was pointless and there was no answer and no solution and no good left. And at that moment, I didn't know what else to say except, will you come talk to my pastor? I just didn't care. I really didn't care. And so when she said, do you want to come talk to this pastor? I just was like, whatever. I don't care. Sure. So I drove William back to the church and I parked in the lot. And in pops this large, almost caricature of a man um, in a suit and suspenders. And I had enough cognitive awareness to know that this was a Southern Baptist church and having a grown up PCA, I didn't think a whole lot of Southern Baptists. And so as he sat down, probably even in my drunken stupor, I think I assumed I was smarter than he was. He said, I'm going to read this, and I want you to let me know if this is in your life. Um, Where Paul says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and he just lists them off there. At each point, I just said, check, check, check. And then he went to the fruits of the Spirit, and they were nowhere to be found. And at the end of it, as he read, Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the first time in my life, I thought, maybe I'm not going to heaven. Maybe I'm not a Christian. By God's grace, through reading the book of Isaiah, uh, it first opened to chapter 59.1 says, For surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear, but your iniquities have hidden you from your God. As I read that, I felt, man, I am covered in my sins. And I realized that I, William Wolfe, needs Jesus Christ to clothe me in his righteousness. And so I got on my knees and I asked for forgiveness and I recognized that I needed a savior by God's grace. William called me that Tuesday and shared with me what he was reading about in Isaiah and what he was learning. And at that moment, I felt some of the fear that I had for my brother's life disappear. It was such a joyful time for me. The title of the sermon, I believe the day that he came the first time, was From Devastation to Deliverance. And I think that beautifully sums up 
how the Lord worked in my brother's life. My name is William. I'm a Christian because somebody brought the gospel to me. Be unashamed. That's a pretty moving story, isn't it? I think there are many people in our community like this guy. I do. I mean, I, I run into people like, like William all across the city. People who think they're Christians because they went to church or because they gave $50 to some good cause or, or whatever, or they were baptized, or they take communion once a week or once a month or once a year. They, they think they're Christians because they prayed a little prayer when they were six at the front of the Sunday school classroom but haven't returned to the father of their faith since then. I think there are a lot of people, maybe even some people here this morning, who think they're Christians, but have never really embraced the gospel of grace. And we all just a few moments ago, at least intellectually nodded when we said, grace is the only way that you can get to God. It's not by being a good boy or a good girl or a, a good man. or It's not just by not looking at pornography or not just fantasizing when you read a romantic novel. It's got to be more than that. And it is. It's embracing the Savior who died for my sin, was buried, and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. William came to the place where he realized that he needed to be saved by God's grace, not by doing good things, not just by going to the right church or singing the right songs. You can't rely on church attendance. You can't rely on Bible reading to save you. You need Jesus. And I urge you to trust in Jesus today if you never have. William said, I'm a Christian today because somebody brought the gospel to me. Did you hear that? I'm a Christian today because somebody brought the gospel to me. Our role as everyday missionaries is to take the gospel to people who need it. Our role as everyday missionaries is to introduce people to Jesus and help them grow in the knowledge of Jesus and then help them teach other people about Jesus. That's what everyday missionaries do. And so we'd like to pray for gospel increase again this morning and ask that God would use our little church to make an impact. But we, we cannot be everyday missionaries unless we ourselves have embraced grace. 
And maybe you're, maybe you're a William this morning. Maybe you, you, you've thought of yourself as a Christian. But you've never really embraced the grace of Jesus Christ. You can do that this morning. And I wish you would. I pray that you would. Embrace the grace of Jesus Christ this morning. Will you? Let's pray together. Father, even before we begin to pray for gospel increase in our city and our county this morning, we want to apologize to you for pretending. There are people here this morning within the sound of my voice, Father, who, who may have thought of themselves as Christians for months or even years, and they've been nowhere, nowhere near the grace of God. It's been all about their own works and keeping the law and going to church and, and, and keeping a record book of good things that they've done. And so we've just set all of that aside this morning and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe He came out of the grave alive for me. And that he satisfied the wrath of God for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Father, earlier this week, I read that verse that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Such a powerful word. And Father, these grace-saturated words of Paul remind us that there's simply, there is no God as generous and as loving as you. The Scriptures are constantly exposing and deconstructing every false notion we have about you. And we see this most clearly in the Gospel, your commitment to to redeem ill-deserving sinners by the immeasurable riches of your Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel brutally and beautifully contradicts the way that we're contaminated and wired and programmed by sin. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, Lord, we, we actually can imagine status quo churches in our country and in our city, once gospel-centered and spirit-filled, being refired and renewed, refocused once again. We can imagine that. And we pray for that. According to the power that it's, that's at work within us, we ask you to breathe upon our dry bones and bring fresh life. We can imagine the restoration of gospel joy, first love, and true worship. And Father, we can imagine you bringing great glory to yourself out of incredibly broken stories and disillusioned, cynical believers. You're the God who works all things, all things for the good of those who love you. You are the God who says that things impossible for men are indeed possible for you. Lord, you are the God who says that we have not because we ask not. And so we ask in the name of Jesus. We ask for the expanding of your kingdom in our city and our county. 
Father, we can actually, we can imagine, if we stretch our imaginations a little further this morning, we can imagine broken relationships being healed and restored. We can imagine gossip and slander giving way to prayer and encouragement. We can imagine many of your irresponsible sons and daughters coming back home to you where they belong. We can imagine many of your self-righteous sons and daughters getting back on the dance floor of grace. And Lord, we can imagine an unprecedented number of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ in this city. Oh God, let it be so. We pray for great gospel increase and for more people to come to faith in Jesus. We pray that you would use us Use the folks here at the gathering as you give us opportunity to be involved in the the harvest which is white and ready for picking. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.